This week, we dive back into the world of financial services and protection. My guest is Debbie Bolton. We talk about underwriting, protection product development, and whether products and processes are getting simpler for customers. Welcome to episode 158 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh, helping you keep your marketing strategy simple and the BS at bay. Hey folks, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thanks, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug me and my guests into your earphones. This week, we deep dive back into the financial services industry. In fact, we deep dive behind the scenes of Life Office AIG Life. And I'm going to be talking to Debbie Bolton, who is head of underwriting and claims strategy. We chat about a simple definition of underwriting anyone can understand, the role of an underwriting development team in an insurance company, how AIG Life is speeding up the application process for protection products, why the industry is trying to simplify insurance products, how AIG Life works with financial advisors, and why trust is a three-way process. So let's get straight into that interview with Debbie right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Debbie Bolton, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hello, good morning. Debbie, where are we Skyping each other from today? Now, of course, I'm in Edinburgh as always. Yes, and I'm in London. I'm on Fenchurch Street in the AIG offices. Fenchurch Street, yeah, I pass that part of London frequently on my way to and from London City Mm. Airport, so it's part of town that I know quite well. Debbie, you work for AIG Life, you're in charge of underwriting strategy and claims strategy, so there's lots of um, things that we can talk about today relating to underwriting, relating to claims, relating to the protection market in general. But before we get to that, Debbie, Maybe give the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, where you're going, and basically what makes Debbie Bolton tick? Yeah, good question. Um, I've worked in the industry, in the insurance industry, for uh, about 20 years now, and I have been underwriting for 17 of those years. Right. When I first started underwriting, it was... uh, it was very paper-based. It was totally different to um, the underwriting that we've we've got today. So we, you know, you'd start off with forty cases at the side of you mm-hmm. and just work your way through through all that paper. I loved it. It was um, it, it's a great job. I just uh, so enjoyed the role of underwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started off um, my career um, at, at smaller offices, and then I moved to Agon, where um, I developed further, became a, a leader manager. And um, and then I moved to AIG, which is where I am now. And this was years ago. Um, I moved to AIG because the brand at the time, it was Aegeus. Um, it was originally Fortis, actually. Yeah. And that name meant innovation and te- technology, automation. It felt like it was a really exciting place to be. And the role that um, I traveled down for was the manager of the development underwriting team. Um, it just it just felt a really good fit. And even six years on, um, it's still a good fit. The pace is, the, in fact, it's probably a faster pace than it was when I joined. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the pace that I like to move at. And so, it, it, yeah, I remain 
very happy at AIG. How would you describe underwriting to the layman? So the people listening to the podcast who might not know what underwriting actually means to insurance. Yeah, so underwriting is it's the combination really of science and maths and generating a premium at the end of it. So you're looking at somebody's physical health, their pursuits risk, how hazardous is their occupation, are they travelling anywhere that potentially could be hazardous, and it's putting all that together and then using maths and then a premium. So somebody who's very, very healthy, who um, doesn't do any hazardous sports, who's working in, say, an office, you would get the cheapest premium. But if there's somebody who who isn't like that, so maybe they've got um, some condition that they're managing, some medical condition, and maybe they work in a high-risk occupation, then they will pay a little bit more. And so it's just trying to put the right price on and getting the best possible outcome for the customer. Uh, what we want to do is charge the cheapest premium we possibly can. And so if we identify the people that may cost a little bit extra, it allows the pool of healthy lives to pay a very low premium for their protection. Yeah, I think it's quite an important distinction, isn't it, to talk about? Because a lot of people just assume that underwriting is just a way of making more money out of the customer. But actually what, you, what you're saying here is a very scientific process to make sure that you're spreading the risk equally across the customers that you're insuring. Yeah, that's right. And most people, probably between 70 and 80%, will get um, a, a favourable premium rate mm-hmm. because we underwrite. So the majority of people will just pay the premium that's quoted. And if we didn't have underwriting, everybody would end up effectively paying more, wouldn't they? Because you'd have to charge an, a, a, everybody a higher premium because you know that some of those people would have conditions and therefore everybody pays more. So actually underwriting is good for the customer overall. Yes, it is. So tell me what the difference then is between an underwriting team that just looks day to day at the cases coming in. So, you know, all the application forms that come through the door of AIG Life compared to what you do, which is running the development side of it and the strategy side. What's the difference? Yeah, the difference is, um, is that we... We set the philosophy, we change the philosophy. Um, We're involved in pretty much every development that AIG undertakes, whether it's product development or technology development. Our team manage the rules engine. So this is incrementally improved continuously. Um, And we look at how we're asking the questions, whether the questions are actually appropriate, whether we can simplify the application journey So ultimately, what we want to do is ask the minimum amount of questions to actually identify exactly what the size of that risk is and and then price it. So the rules engine is a huge part of what we do. All the product developments that AIG have released over the last six years, my team have been involved in, and any partnership development. So we are um, increasing our partnerships within AIG And each partnership is very different and they need a different approach. Perhaps they have a different customer mix and we have to try and focus what we develop to their customer mix to make to make it personal to them and bespoke to them. Debbie, let's dig a little bit deeper into this development process because I'm really interested in how you get to the the best combination of price and questioning. So AIG Life have recently launched a new product called Instant and Instant's different to the traditional uh, product because 
people can apply for it really quickly. I think the marketing and the PR say that people can apply for this within eight minutes. So it's a shorter question set than you would expect on a on a fully fledged menu of protection products which has life covering critical illness and and income protection in it so you've obviously had to work very hard to come up with a shorter application process for that instant product maybe talk me through how you go through that process and how you end up getting to the stage where you can say to people this product takes a lot less time to apply for than our more comprehensive menu product yes we have produced an instant um an instant product and we haven't changed our normal underwriting application process but we've we've added on an additional solution for uh younger healthier customers who want protection at speed so we wanted uh, an application process that had no interruption so that you'd go through the application form and you'd know at the end you'd know whether you had cover or whether you couldn't have cover and you'd have to apply through another route. And so we thought, what's the minimum question set that we can ask, that we can kind of put on a, a, a favourable price? And so we ended up with, um, a, yes, a shorter question set with fewer drill-down questions, the ref- questions that you get on an underwriting engine and an underwriting application. And yes, it does, it does take a shorter amount of time to complete. But the main benefit, apart from the speed of applying, is the fact that you get a decision at the end, mm-hmm. whether it's or no, um, vast majority, of course, will get a yes, and it's instant because it's an instant decision. It's a really interesting process that you've gone through, Debbie, and it really makes me think about trends within the overall protection industry. I mean, I'm thinking back now to when I first started doing life insurance marketing back in the late 1980s. I think my first day in the industry was actually the day of the stock market crash in 1987. I always remember that because nobody had any time to help me um, settle in. They were running around like um, idiots trying to sort out all of these um, bonds which were losing value. But back in those days, life insurance underwriting was actually quite simple. Now, a lot of people were buying endowment policies. A lot of people were in buying decreasing term assurances to cover mortgages and the application process I can remember was one page and maybe only about five questions and I'm sure they used to call it short form application and I know that maybe some of those short form applications led to some problems later on but the whole process on the whole was quite simple then of course we moved into the late 80s early 90s critical illness cover started to become more popular and that required the asking of more underwriting questions questions. And then in the 90s, we saw the development of the menu of benefits product where you start combining life cover with critical illness and then later even with income protection. And that added more questions onto the application form. And then we sort of hit a price war, didn't we, with life insurance rates coming down constantly. And that meant that the underwriting process had to get a little bit tighter to support the uh, the cheapening rates and that added more questions on and and before you know it you know back in the 80s we had a one page application form now the fully fledged comprehensive menu product might have an application of 32 pages with with pages and pages of medical questions so we went from very simple to very very complicated over the period of about 20 years but it occurs to me that with the sort of things that you're now doing at AIG life with the instant product where the underwriting seems to be going the other way back to where it used to be a lot simpler and a lot quicker so we've almost come full circle we started simple we became complex 
and now we seem to be heading back to simplicity. Is that actually happening? Yes, you're quite right. The application journey and the products are starting to become more simple again. Um, so we have intermediaries and customers who want to do things quickly. We're of an age now where somebody wants insurance and they want it today and they want it simply and they want to be uh, protected for their insurance immediately. And how can we do it quickly? So it's very off-putting to go through um, a really comprehensive application journey. And and so we've devised something that's that's very simple, very quick to go through. And with the, the questions that we've added into the journey and the questions that we ask of the customer, um, we, we only ask the questions which will identify whether they have um, a, a risk that um, would generate you know, additional premium or they would be standard rates. And most applications, even now, even with a simple application journey, do end up at standard rates. And what we do with the simple journey is we don't want to um, delay the application and delay the protection by having to go for medical evidence. So we try and do it in one go, ask a few simple questions. Those questions potentially could generate some drill down or reflexive questions, which are very tailored to what the customer is telling us. And, and at the end of that journey, we can say yes, in the majority of cases we do say yes, or, or we say no. Um, and their option is to go through a more comprehensive journey, perhaps with some medical evidence. But the majority of people can go straight through a simple application journey and get the protection that they need very quickly. And we've also been looking at products as well. So from an instant life point of view, we've, we've addressed that need with our new product. But we've also introduced a very simple critical illness cover as well. There was um, a lot of people want a very comprehensive critical illness protection. But the reality is, is that there's only three conditions which generate the vast majority of claims. And those three conditions are what people tend to worry about the most. So we have cancer, heart attack and stroke. And by offering a very simple critical illness cover like that, it's very easy to understand. So as well as having simple application journeys, we're also looking at very simple products as well. And what sort of reaction have you had from financial advisors to the uh, instant product and the, the more simple approach? Very positive. You know, as I mentioned before, um, 70 to 80 percent of people would get standard rates anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, very positive very positive indeed and and as an underwriter i get i guess this is a bit this is a bit of a cliche isn't it but um having worked in the industry for all these years sometimes underwriters have this reputation of sort of living in ivory towers and they don't get out much they don't talk to financial advisors but i think you're out there talking to advisors quite a lot aren't you debbie yeah we try to um and we have um a whole team of underwriters that that speak to advisors every day on on the phone. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're available until quite late in the evening as well, until 8 p.m. And so we do, we do have a lot of feedback. And our underwriters, um, they're very good at feeding back any information, whether it's positive or negative. They feed it into the underwriting strategy team just Mm -hmm. to give us some insight as to what they're dealing with on a a daily basis. Um, But we do try and... um, visit um, advisors as often as possible our underwriters are a lot of them are home based Mm -hmm. and they work around the country um, in a virtual team so we could visit advisors wherever they are in the country quite easily Mm -hmm. Um, so yes we do um, we do get a lot of insight and um, advisors are more than happy to 
talk to us about their experiences, whether it's good or bad, and we take notes. And, you know, we, we really appreciate that kind of feedback. And do you find that because you're more available than underwriters from other companies potentially, do you find that that creates a better relationship with a financial advisor? Maybe there's a better element of trust there? I would hope so. I would hope so. Um, there's some advisors that we speak to um, on a very regular basis. And these advisors, they write the more complex cases. Mm-hmm. And especially with um, that type of advisor firm, we we do need to understand their needs a lot more. We need them to trust that, you know, that we, we're, we're doing a good job for them and giving them the best possible rates. So, yes, trust is a, is a huge part of what we do and we we strive for that. I think trust is very important within the um, protection industry because let's face it, the public do distrust insurance companies and it's not helped by the fact that we see articles being printed in newspapers saying that we decline claims or that we have harsh underwriting or there's some other mis-selling scandal. Now, you and I know, because we work in this industry, we know that we do pay the vast majority of the claims and try to create that scientific combination of science and maths to create the best outcome for the customer. So there are all, there are all these really good things going on, but people do still distrust the insurance industry. So I think it is good that you're trying to build that trust as you've just described. But at one end of the scale, you've got the simpler, the instant application process, which actually there's probably no human intervention in that. It's all automated. So people answer the questions at the end of it, they get the answer. Yes. Whereas the bigger cases, and, and, and with bigger cases, we're probably talking about business protection or inheritance tax planning or something like that. There's much more of a human interaction. So your underwriters are talking directly to the IFAs on the phone or maybe even in person. How do you create that same level of trust with an automated process at one end and at the other end, the, the more face-to-face? How do, you, how do you effectively make that tr- level of trust seamless across both types? Yeah, I suppose it's a different type of trust, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So trust, trust in, in the automation. Um, we've always said ever since launch that um, if we don't ask the question on the application form, you don't need to tell us the answer. Mm-hmm. We're not fishing for information we're asking specific questions because we trust the customers mm-hmm. to tell us the truth and we trust the advisors to complete an application form accurately. And if that does happen, then we will pay a claim. And so from an automated point of view, it, it's more difficult because we speak to advisors less with the automated because the whole point of automated is the fact that it's very quick and you don't need to speak to anybody. And it, I suppose it would be evidenced by the fact that at the end of it, we publish our claims statistics and we evidence the fact that you know we pay the vast majority of claims are paid with no fuss Mm. so from an automated point of view it's it's harder because we don't speak on a day-to-day basis on the on the other side of that so these are the more complex cases and you're right that you know when it's when it's a, a much larger case then we do need to speak to the advisor and we do need to understand why this case has been written and sometimes we have to try and simplify some quite complex financial circumstances you know we we have customers and i'm sure all insurers do where where they could be on their third family mm-hmm. and they have two families to protect they have they may have um, more than one mortgage they've got inheritance tax liability and they may be living overseas with a family and they might be trying to protect something in the uk 
all of these things we can we can cover and we try and simplify all of that complexity into something that's quite easy to underwrite and we we do that well and we have quite a few of the um the the wealth advisors that use us repeatedly for this type of business and so we're building quite a good reputation in that area and it is built on trust it's built on relationships and it's also built on understanding getting beneath the the dna of the advisor firm and Mm. understanding how they write their business and it's trusting them so our underwriters trust them that they're writing business that's appropriate and so it's a it's a three-way trust the customer the advisor and the underwriter all working together to get um the business on the books as as quickly as possible so that the customer is protected I like that idea of the three-way trust. That's good. And again, if you're completely transparent on top of all of that with your claim statistics and you're telling people what to expect, and and, and again, I like that idea that if you don't ask the question, you know, you don't need to worry about it. You know, that is going to help the customer trust the insurance industry a lot more. And I'm really, really keen on what's happening there. Thinking wider outside of AIG life specifically, what would you really like to see happen from an underwriting point of view across the whole of the protection industry? I would like the underwriting to be done as quickly as possible. Underwriting is is perceived as a barrier. Mm. You know, we're not a good thing. So if an advisor wants to write protection and the advisor thinks that person needs £500,000 protection, they should be able to get it straight away. So what we want to do as underwriters, and this is across the industry, this isn't just AIG, is we want to get those larger cases, more complex cases, underwritten quickly. So it it could be using electronic GP reports. It could be underwriting things retrospectively. There's so many kind of options out there to try and get um, a customer protected as quickly as possible. And this is, this is where the industry is going. I agree that sometimes underwriting is seen as a barrier. So anything that we can do to speed up the process and make it seem less as a, um, as a business prevention tool and more as a business enabler has got to be a good thing for the industry as a whole. Debbie, what would you say was the one big thing you'd like the listeners of the Marketing Finance Podcast to take away from the experiences you've had as an underwriting strategist over all these years? That's a really hard question, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, uh, one to take away. There's one thing, okay, is that underwriters and claims assessors, we are kind of the the technicians of of, of the whole piece, and um, we say whether a, you know a case can be underwritten or whether a claim could be paid. And I suppose what I want the industry to know is that underwriters, as a rule, start from yes. They start from how can I get this case on the books as quickly as possible? And that is the culture within the majority of underwriting teams I've, I've been aware of and I've worked in. Mm. From a claims point of view, it's exactly the same. How can I pay this claim? How can I pay this claim quickly? We never look to not pay a claim and we never look not to offer terms. And so I think that we are seen as, I suppose, from an industry point of view and from a marketing point of view, there is a lot of, of negative press about, you know, claims assessors saying no and underwriters saying no. But the vast majority of, of times it's it's yes. And we want to do that yes much, much quicker. And that is the exciting part about the industry is that we want this to be as easy as possible and we want people to be protected. And from a claims point of view, claims is the business end of what we do. We're here to make people 
secure should something dreadful happen. And, th- and our claimants and every insurer's claimants are probably going through the worst thing that they've ever gone through in their lives. And it's quite hard. And our claims assessors have got a very tough job, you know, to, to try and help these people through this time. And they want to pay the claim. And so that's the message is that that's where we're aiming is to, to, to pay everything that we can and to offer as much protection as we can. Again, I think it comes right back to trust, doesn't it? Right back yeah. to trust. One of the things I also like to do on the Marketing and Finance podcast is to talk about a marketing campaign or a product that's caught your attention recently. Now, it doesn't even need to be anything to do with the financial services industry. It could be a car you've seen or a holiday or something like that. But tell me about something that's caught your attention and tell me why you liked it so much. Um, I suppose my most recent example is actually parcel delivery. Mm-hmm. So Christmas time, I have a parcel that I need to send to New Zealand. And I think, okay, where do you go? You go to the post office. But what I did was I looked online because I wanted something that was was simple, was quick, was really price competitive too. And I needed a little bit late in the day to be sending something to New Zealand, but I wanted something to get there by Christmas. Mm. So I went online and I found a company that were very competitively priced, very easy application online. So I put in the dimensions of the box. I put the weight of the box. I put where it was going and when I wanted it to get there for. And so they came up with a quote and then it was kind of, where do you want it picking up from? I want it picking up from my office, actually. Okay. And so within six hours of me implementing all this and inputting it on the system last night, it's been picked up and it's now on its way. And of course, there's the analogy behind that again is the underwriting process itself. You know, you could draw quite a lot of parallels between that parcel application process, if you like, and the underwriting process that we've been talking about. Debbie, it's been fantastic to talk to you today about underwriting both from the procedural point of view and the strategic development point of view. And we've covered all these interesting subjects like trust and the cycle of simplicity and complexity. I'm hoping that people listening to the podcast are going to want to get in touch with you. So what is the best way to connect with you, Debbie? I'm very happy to receive emails, uh, debbie.bolton at aiglife.co.uk. And I'm also on Twitter, Debbie Bolton AIG simple as that. Fantastic. Debbie, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you today. Let me wish you every success for the future and no doubt we'll catch up in future at some industry event in London. Look forward to it. Thank you, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.